Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to The Connection, a weekly radio program where we share our experiences and expertise with stories of caring, courage, and change right here in Connecticut. Listen to learn about needed resources to improve your well-being and transform your life. Now, here are the hosts of The Connection, Lisa DeMattis-Lapore and Anne Baldwin. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to another edition of The Connection right here on WTIC News Talk 1080. I am one of your hosts this morning, Ann Baldwin. And good morning, Ann. This is Lisa DeMattis-Lapore from The Connection. You know what is so cool? I don't know if you've done this yet, but if you have um, Alexa, yeah, right? Mm-hmm. So what I've been doing um, during the later broadcast, the 9 o'clock broadcast, what I've been doing is saying, Alexa... Play WTIC News Talk 1080 and listening to our show right in my kitchen on Alexa. Oh, wow. That's great. Yeah. So for all of you folks out there, you know, that are doing other things, just want to have it in the background, get some good, useful information. So I'm so excited. This always, I get goosebumps now when I get this mail. So we've got our anonymous donor, right? Oh, yep. Who loves Daryl. Daryl McGraw. Daryl McGraw, who's just a, just a showstopper. He's just amazing. And I'm so glad I follow him on Facebook now because you're right. His, his Facebook posts are great. So we got another note from our anonymous donor who says, please give the enclosed card to Daryl McGraw a little treat for his guys. Happy summer and enjoy what's left. Love the show. All the best. Oh, that's so And great. it's a nice Dunkin' Donuts gift card. So we got to make sure that Daryl gets us. We'll and thank sure. you, whoever you are, our mystery person. Thank I, you so much. I that's always really assume sweet. it's a man, but I just, well, you we know, don't we know. don't know. We don't know. And also, Lisa, I've been getting some emails from our listeners since I've been giving out my email address. Okay. So if you want to jot this down, um, feel free. People are giving us comments and feedback on the show. And so far, so good. And it's Ann, A-N-N, at baldwinmedia.net. So feel free to shoot me an email. I love Fantastic. hearing from our, from our listeners. So we've got a, a great guest because The Connection has a um, conference coming up. It's called the 2019 Connection Conference, Cultivating Resilience. Yes, we're very excited about that. And it's going to be held on Monday, October 21st from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. at Wesleyan University at the Usedan University Center right in Middletown. Tickets are on sale at the Connections um, Annual Conference, Cultivating Resilience. Um, You can go on our website to register today, which is theconnectioninc.org, and we really encourage you to come and enjoy this uh, conference, Um, and um, you're just going to love the... uh, the presenters, which presenters, is, and who, this is, we have a very uh, exciting guest on the show today. One of our presenters. Yes, it's Wamsi Canero. Did I say that right, Canero? You did. Yeah. All right. So, Wamsi, um, thank you for being here. Wamsi is a uh, doctor, a clinical psychologist in private practice, and also a certified mindfulness 
teacher with the Engaged Mindfulness Institute. <laughs> and his credentials go on and on and on. Um, but he also is a board member of the Copper Beach Institute and is going to be one of your breakout um, speakers at this conference that you just mentioned, Lisa, on October 21st. So I guess the big question is, can I call you Wamsey? Uh, of course. Yeah. Uh, okay. So all right. You know, what is mindfulness? I think we all have our definition of that, but how do you interpret mindfulness? When I think about mindfulness, it really actually stems back in a way to the name of the organization that you're both representing, The Connection. When I think about mindfulness, I fundamentally think about relationships. Mm -hmm. I think mindfulness is about cultivating and familiarizing ourselves, this relationship we have with ourselves, our inner worlds, our thoughts, our emotional experiences, our reactions, as well as our responses to things, as well as our relationships with other people. How are we listening? How are we communicating? How are we connecting? And then in, a, in the broadest of senses, our relationships with our ecology, with our environment. John Kabat-Zinn, who developed a program called the Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction Program in the 1970s, has a working def definition that he says, mindfulness is the awareness that arises from paying attention on purpose to the present moment and without judgment. So I think it's really about trying to fall awake, to try to live our life in the present moment, to be fully attentive to the unfolding experience of our lives and these developing relationships that we have with ourselves, others, and the world around us. Well, you know, you, you brought up um, without judgment, right, you said? And we talk about that a lot on the show, even in conversations, which I've learned through my recovery process, is when you have a conversation, especially if it's a delicate issue, talk have a conversation without blame or judgment and if you think about trying to do that in any conversation it's really really hard so i yeah. like i like what you said it's just you know without judgment so um how how can we achieve this because you know let's face it it all sounds good and i'll probably try out what you're talking about for 10 hot minutes after the show ends <laughs> and then i'll be back to my my crazy self but how do you apply that how can we all apply that to our lives when things are just so hectic it's really about remembering to be present as opposed to something else on our to-do list another item to check off it's really about cultivating a state and traits of mind and attention that allow us to try to be present in the moment-to-moment -moment experience as opposed to necessarily simply something else to do. I think about bringing our attention to whatever it is that we're doing in the moment. For example, this conversation, or if we're sending an email, mm -hmm. or if we're brushing our teeth, eating a piece of food, because our mind has tendencies to move to the future, mm -hmm. to think about what-if scenarios, it has tendencies to move to the past and not necessarily to, re to remember things like our highlight reel, but more our kind of bloopers and gags reels, if you will. Mm -hmm. And then it has a tendency to think about its favorite subject, me. So it has a tendency to move in these directions so often that in the neuroscience literature they call this the default mode network. So when we're not intentionally doing something, our mind has a tendency to wander to the future where a lot of anxiety and worry lives, has a tendency to move to the past, where a lot of sadness can 
can often live, as well as to think about me in more of this more self-critical or that word again, judgmental way. And I think mindfulness helps us to shift out of this quote-unquote default mode network, this tendency to mind wander and try to bring us back to the present moment. So we can cultivate this through formal practice, and I think cultivating and developing a formal practice is an important thing to try to set aside an amount of time that feels realistic and achievable for you, and that could be, I often say, can we begin with a single breath? Can we begin with uh, one minute of practice? It's about cultivating, I think, that sense of intention and a sense of discipline around the practice. And then how does it come off, if you will, how does it come off the cushion into life with you? So it doesn't just stay on the cushion so that we're attentive, perhaps feeling a little bit more familiar with ourselves on our meditation cushion or our chair. But then when we stand up, we're having the same reactions to everything that we consistently have. So how do we actively try to remember in life to pause, to notice what's occurring. And I think ultimately then life starts to become quite awe-inspiring. We look at sort of the sun or a person's face. We look at a cup of coffee, and it just can be quite amazing, this unfolding, uh, the unfolding moments of life as we bring mindfulness into our day-to-day existence. Isn't it? Isn't that meditation? Yeah, I think meditation is a formal practice and a formal set of practices that allow us to cultivate a sense of mindfulness. So a particular way to practice meditation is mindfulness meditation, Um, trying to become more present to our unfolding experience, to the thoughts that arise, and beginning to simply name them as a thought, as opposed to even my thought. There's another thought that's arising watching it come and go, as opposed to seeing it as a fact, as a certainty, as a truth, just the arising and falling of thoughts, the arising and falling of of emotions, so that we can begin to see that these are just moment-to-moment or transient experiences, that we don't have to become locked into these stories that sometimes occur in our heads. I know for, for most of us, we'll have these experiences sometimes in our car or in the shower where we might be feeling somewhat irritated or agitated, and that might be because we're having this almost conversation or even an argument in our minds with someone else that's not even there. Oh, that's so true. I feel better already. (laughs) (laughs) And I think what mindfulness helps us to do is simply to notice that and maybe create just a little bit of space between our thoughts and ourselves so that space is really the space of awareness, that we're aware of the unfolding process of these thoughts arising, these emotional experiences. And through this awareness, we can begin to shift from reacting to things to really more responding to things. So I have a question because, you know, we talk about um, trauma, especially Mm -hmm. the clients that, you know, that we serve at The Connection, but also I think everyone has experienced some level of trauma. And how, how can you offer these practices to those who are experiencing trauma? Yeah, it's a beautiful question because, you know, I loved on your website and sort of the ethos, it seems, that uh, that resonates within the connection as, as it says, kind of this golden thread that weaves through our lives. The trauma is kind of this golden thread that must be understood and treated. 
and so I think oftentimes the argument is is that you know trauma is a severe form of stress. Mindfulness can be very useful for stress. So mindfulness can be directly applied or offered, if you will, to trauma. And this is not to say that traditional or typical mindfulness-based programs, um, they can be certainly quite helpful for survivors of trauma. What I think, though, is important is that for some individuals, when they think about mindfulness, it oftentimes is synonymous with a specific way of practicing, which is usually sitting with our eyes closed and focusing on our breath coming in and out of our body. Now, this is a beautiful way to practice. This is actually the primary way that I tend to practice within my more formal practice. However, for some people, this type of practice could be incredibly destabilizing or dysregulating even. For some survivors of trauma, their experience may have been one where uh, their their breath was compromised, for example. Right. So the breath isn't a neutral object or anchor of attention for them. So inviting them to focus on that object of attention may not be supportive for them, may not be, uh, may not cultivate a sense of safety within their practice. So when we think about offering mindfulness, I like to think about it as offering trauma-informed mindfulness to individuals. And what has helped me to understand this is really a definition that comes from SAMHSA, or the Substance Abuse Mental Health Services Administration, which is really a four-part definition, and they call it the four R's of trauma-informed care. Right. So the first one is realizing the widespread prevalence of trauma. You know, when I'm, when I'm talking, I often start with a few different statistics, like 15% of veterans experience post-traumatic stress disorder, 87% of men who are incarcerated have experienced some type of trauma, 90 to 91% of women have experienced some type of trauma. But people will then look at me and say, like, well, of course, well, I'm saying, like, within mental health settings, within, within veterans' populations, within individuals who are incarcerated, trauma is quite prevalent. That makes sense, but that's a small subset of the population. And what really helped to open my eyes was uh, a landmark study, which I won't go into significant detail about right now, but just this study was called the ACE study, or the ACEs study, which stands for Adverse Childhood Experiences. This was a study first done, and it's been replicated several times, but it was first done in California. And it was asking individuals who were coming into a primary care setting 10 questions about their experience during childhood before the age of 18 of experiences such as physical or emotional abuse, physical or emotional neglect, parental mental illness, substance dependence within the house, 10 different items related to different types of adversity. And what did the study find? The first thing was that trauma is incredibly prevalent. The, the results indicated that 67% of individuals within this study, of almost 18,000 individuals, 67% or two out of three people had experienced at least one experience of adversity. The other finding was that there was a dose-response relationship. In other words, the higher your ACE score or adverse childhood experiences score, there was a worse association with health outcomes. So individuals that had ACE scores of four or higher had two and a half times greater risk for many different physical illnesses, as well as four and a half times greater risk of depression, 12 times greater risk for suicidality, 
individuals that had ACE scores of seven or higher had differences in life expectancy of up to 20 years. I believe that. Wow. And so the findings of this study really helped to open my eyes to this is a common experience, that this isn't an experience that other people have, that this is a collective experience so that any room that we're in, be it a mindfulness hall, a classroom, or a boardroom, holds some amount of trauma or has strong likelihood of holding some amount of trauma within it. And so when we're offering trauma-informed mindfulness, we really need to be thinking about that this room may hold or probably hold some amount of trauma and that there are many doorways into this same room of mindfulness. And so how do we first realize the widespread prevalence of trauma? And then how do we try to recognize the symptoms of this, and then, which is the second R within that SAMHSA definition? But then the third piece is responding skillfully. So if we're offering trauma-informed mindfulness practices, we may first offer different anchors of attention. Like I said, the breath may not be neutral for some individuals. So perhaps the sensation of their feet on the floor may be a more neutral object of attention within their body. Wow. Perhaps their hands on their knees. Mm-hmm. For some people, it might be something external. The sound of a ticking clock or the sound of a chirping bird, a song perhaps. Mm-hmm. It could be other physical sensations. So just offering different objects of attention, inviting individuals to explore what feels inviting and safe for them. For them. As to then avoid re-traumatization, that fourth R of this definition. Because mindfulness without this sense of trauma could leave people feeling sort of stuck or feeling unsafe and at worst sort of re-traumatized within their experience. So this 4R definition, realizing the widespread prevalence, recognizing the symptoms of trauma being trauma-aware, trauma-informed in that way, responding skillfully and avoiding re-traumatization, I think these are grounding principles that then allow us to offer mindfulness practice in the safest way for individuals. So if you're just tuning in, we're speaking with Dr. Wamsi um, Kaneru, and wow, just some amazing things. And you know, this is what we also talk about on this program as well, is meeting people where they're at. And just, I love that everybody's different. So like you said, deep breaths and closing your eyes might be traumatic for somebody, whereas, you know, the ticking of a clock that they might have heard during childhood trauma can reignite something. It really is interesting. And and we're so grateful that you're going to be one of the breakout speakers um, at the Connection 2019 conference, Doctor. And again, that is on Monday, October 21st. It's uh, from 9 to 3 at Wesleyan. And there's all kinds of information. We do ask that you register for this conference in advance. And um, if you can do that, you can go to theconnectioninc.org, register online, or there's also a phone number. It's 860-343-5500, extension 1602, um, if you'd like to get that uh, pre-registration out there. And it just sounds like there's just going to be, you know, 
folks like this and, and other folks that are just going to give you things to think about. We should also mention, too, that you got your Ph.D. at the University of Miami. You did your clinical internship at Yale School of Medicine. So this is a gentleman who just listening to you makes me feel better. You know? I, have a, I have a question, uh, Wamsi, for, for, um, just for myself and for our listeners. Where exactly is your practice located? Oh, thank you. Yeah, so I've had a, a, a nice winding road uh, to get to West Hartford where my practice is currently. So I've been practicing in West Hartford from uh, 2016, mm-hmm. and um, I sort of began my experience in Connecticut cutting my teeth within community mental health, and I worked within an agency in New Britain from 2010 to 2015, and then I had the opportunity to work for the Department of Mental Health and Addiction Services, specifically with the Young Adult Services Program from 2015 to 2017. And uh, all along the way, around 2011, began my private practice, but in 2016, uh, opened my own practice in West Hartford. And this is for adolescents, adults, families, everybody's impacted by this kind of thing. And um, I'm just really excited that you're going to be, you know, part of this breakout session again, like we said, at Wesleyan University, October 21st. It's a Monday from 9 to 3.30. And this is one of those things. It's worth taking the day, Lisa, right? Because why not? You just We just talked about taking 30 seconds or a minute for deep breaths. Why not take a day and get some tools that will help us all be better people and deal with our stuff? You know, um Wamsi, I attend a monthly um, CEO um, forum group. It's a very small group of um, my peers, maybe five of us in Connecticut. And the way that we start off our meeting is always about mindfulness and deep breathing and getting grounded and um, breathing techniques. And really, um, it really helps all of us. And, you know, you just you, you brought up a point because it never fails. You know, even when you're having a conversation with somebody. They seem distracted. Look at the person. Really give yourself to that conversation and let everything else go, right? And focus on that. And it really makes a notable difference, doesn't it? I couldn't agree more. I mean, it's it's amazing to hear what both of you are saying. Um, to comment on what Lisa was saying, first, uh, it's first just it's wonderful to hear that the meeting has that level of intentionality. Let's begin with this. Uh, set of practices or more formal practice. So then, and then it becomes that the whole meeting ultimately is a practice. I often say life is simply one unfolding practice, just moment-to-moment awareness, moment-to-moment presence in that moment. And to have that level of intention is amazing. When I was doing my teacher training, and many teachers have said, when asked the question, you know, what are some things that I could do? What's some advice you could give me so I can more effectively perhaps bring these practices, if you will, to other people? And i got to say, without fail, almost every one of my teachers has said, you know, focus first on your practice. Mm-hmm. Deepen your practice. Continue to cultivate your practice. Because if we're embodying our practice, it just naturally flows out of us. It's so true. It's and in it a re- way we become an mm-hmm. invitation for other people. Exactly. Practice and engagement. Again, this conference, you can go to theconnectioninc.org. It is Monday, October 21st, 9 to 3. 
Um, there is a $150 fee, but that includes breakfast, lunch, networking in the afternoon, and you also can earn CEUs from um, the National Association of so Social Work, excuse me, and the Connecticut Certification Board. So there's credits in it, but you know. But I think the I think the you know um, WAMSI just really speaks to what this is about, which is cultivating resilience, mm -hmm. right, and mindfulness, and how important it really is to be in the moment and to shut all you know there's no I, I don't know I, I just really quickly and I don't know if I'm sure you've had this there have been moments in my life when I've thought to myself I'm really in the moment and taking everything in mm -hmm. and it's it can almost bring you to tears in a way because if you're really looking at the world and having being in that moment you know thinking how blessed you are yes. or look at the you know look at the ocean or you know when I look at my son and for a moment and I think you know, I just, you know, sort of just take him in as what an amazing young man he is and how grateful I am and how all of these things, right, mm -hmm. that are just so fulfilling internally for me. So let's try it. Let's all try it. All of our listeners, let's try to be mindful today or even for the next hour. I'm going to try it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to be mindful all day today. All right, we are out of time, but I want to thank you so thank much you for so your words much. words of inspiration You're and so advice. Absolutely. And we want to thank our listeners for tuning in to this edition of The Connection on WTIC News Talk 